Welcome to the Monsters Playbook. This is session zero of the Cover Story campaign. This is where we'll get you acquainted with the world, the players, and the game we're all playing so you can jump into our series and enjoy what's going on. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) So we've been playing this game. It's a Monster of the Week game for going on two years. So I'm Johnny. I'm the keeper. I'm the person who... uh, Makes us cry. (laughs) (laughs) Takes away our special things. (laughs) (laughs) I refer to myself as the executive producer because we do treat and run this show as though it is a television show. That's who I am. How about you? Why don't we start with Maya? I am Maya Dutchin. I play Casey Davis, who is the flake. I also play uh, Theo Nessos, also known as Theo Jones, and she is the spellslinger. My name is John Wander, and I play Mark Clayton, the monstrous. My name is Lauren Johnson, and I play Kira Ashwood, the chosen. So that was a bunch of weird words to put in order. (laughs) It is an actual play podcast. We are playing our actual sessions and recording them and broadcasting them. The game system we use is called Monster of the Week by Evil Hat Productions. It's based on the, I believe, Powered by the Apocalypse system, so it runs with Every single roll is always 2d6, and you are adding up to three and subtracting up to two from each roll. Uh, You add or subtract your modifiers, and a 10 plus is what's called a success, and that is basically what you want to happen happens, things go well, you, you did it, you gain some kind of advantage. A seven through nine is a mixed success. And that is something you want to happen happens, but with a difficult choice or a worse outcome. And a six or less is called a miss. And that means things just go bad. (laughs) Johnny loves that things go bad. (laughs) The good news is every time you miss, you mark an experience point. It is much less crunchy than a sort of Dungeons and Dragons might be where you have to get 1500 experience points. So every time you roll a miss or various other conditions, you mark one experience point. Every single time you collect five experience points, you level up. And each of the player types, known as archetypes rather than classes, has a list of improvements from which they can choose. That might be improving a stat. It might be taking more hunter type moves. It might be it just adds something else to your character that you can do. The game is is played primarily through the basic moves. These are the things that everyone can do that are all based on the different... Everybody can do them. (laughs) Everybody in the club getting charming. The moves are manipulate someone when you want someone to do something they weren't going to do anyway. Act under pressure, which is when you want to do anything at all (laughs) that might not happen. Help out, you can add an additional modifier, plus one to another hunter's role. Investigate a mystery, which is at what it sounds like, read a bad situation, which is functionally the same thing, but taking in information quickly, Uh, kick some ass, which is, I love that they call it that, protect someone when you want to get in front of someone who's getting their ass kicked, and use magic, which I believe almost everybody has some degree of, with notable exceptions. The move use magic functions where roll a success, what you want to happen happens. If you roll a mixed success, what you want to happen happens, plus there is a glitch. The caster gets to pick the glitch, but the keeper gets to pick what that means. The glitches are the effect is weakened, the effect is of short duration, you take one harm, 
the magic draws immediate unwelcome attention or the magic has a problematic side effect. And what those mean, I get to decide. <laughs> and then as concerns kicks a mass, the way combat works is it only ever happens as a result of a player choice. There are pretty rare situations where I'll have something happen to you that just inflicts harm. But usually if you're going to be fighting something, it will be you deciding to fight it, which I also appreciate. It, it really takes a lot of pressure away from having initiative roles in all combat order. It's who wants to kick some ass and how do they do? But the way it works is that each side of the combat has a given harm that they will inflict. Each weapon does you know, I think there's some crazy ones, Casey, that go up to four. And then each player has seven harm before they die. So after a character accumulates four or more, they become unstable and are essentially bleeding out or have some other complication and they will get worse until they die unless they are healed. On a seven through nine on kick some ass, both sides just do whatever harm they were going to do. On a success, there are certain benefits that the hunter will get. You can either take advantage, adding plus one to your role or someone else's role, inflict terrible harm, do one more harm than you would have done, suffer less harm, take one less harm than you would have taken, or force them where you want them to do something strategically or creatively interesting. Another system that I think is really interesting that we've had quite a lot of fun with is the luck system. Essentially, each player has, it looks like, seven luck points to consume throughout their life. As luck points are consumed, they become increasingly doomed. But each time you spend a luck point, you can change any roll you make on anything, just make it a 12 automatically. Or anytime you take some kind of harm, you can decide to not have taken any of it. But then there's another wrinkle, which is that every, every different archetype, when they spend a luck point, has an immediate or delayed effect. So for example, if someone's playing as monstrous and spends a point of luck, uh, your monster side gains more power. Your curse may become stronger or another disadvantage may manifest. So things get worse for you in immediate and concrete ways. The spell slinger, when she takes a, spends a point of luck, the official council of wizards is going to poke their nose into her business. Ah, I love this game. <laughs> in addition to the basic moves, each hunter type has specific hunter moves that are specific to the abilities and history that that character or that player might have. And they can have different effects on, they can allow you to try, maybe do different things. They can allow you to know different things and they can sometimes uh, modify what and how the basic moves do and work. So that's a bit about how the game works, but I'd like to hear a little bit more about the characters you all play. Uh, why don't we start with Maya's character, Casey Davis? So Casey Davis started out as the professional and now she is the flake. And when I started, created her really with session one, is that I just wanted her to be kind of a more badass version of me that like can <laughs> shoot guns and like be invincible in a way. And it's been really fun watching her kind of like, I don't want to say become me, but I've put a lot of me in her. 
Um, she's the youngest of two siblings. Her older brother is Jesse. Jesse is the reason that Casey joined Ears. Casey's very self-confident, willful, confrontational, very confrontational, strong and assertive and very decisive. I think in moments of pressure, she's the one to jump into action, make the decisions. Sometimes we'll just react with her gut. React with her gun. (laughs) (laughs) Casey works for EARS, which stands for Extra Normal Analysis and Reconnaissance Society. Um, which is kind of like a men in black sort of situation. At one point, I took a improvement that allowed Casey to have a team of agents who I love. They're great. <laughs> um, so I have three years agents under my command, my team. Um, they are Gia, Talk, and Diego, and they're wonderful. They're great. Speaking of which, why don't we talk about what moves, special powers, and resources you have and how they fit into what your deal is. One of my favorite moves that Casey has, and I feel like one of my favorite moves with Monster of the Week in the game, is Bottle It Up. With the move Bottle It Up, I get to take up to three bonuses to when I act under pressure. So that means that I can add one, two, or three additional points to my act under pressure. And that makes Casey a freaking badass. (laughs) It makes it functionally impossible for her to fail a roll. But then when I use that points, then those points go to Johnny to use against me on anything but act under pressure. But I think that that move kind of encapsulates Casey very well. There's a lot of things in her past that she has bottled up, pushed aside, sacrificed for others. These other things don't matter because only the mission does. Yeah. One of the other moves slash things that she has casey has the mobility move which means that i get a truck van or car and casey has one of her most prized possessions is her volkswagen van cosmo and to paint a picture for you cosmo is dark blue and has a splattering of white paint Although it is a little bit temperamental, um, she has to hit the steering wheel to the beginning of, I believe, in a thing called love. To get it to start. To get it to start. But it's very roomy. It's very stealthy. Kind of our go-to vehicle. Uh, Some of the other moves that she has that I am a fan of is Connect the Dots, which allows me um, to ask questions about the mystery to Johnny. And then Suspicious Mind allows me to know if somebody is lying, uh, which is very helpful when I remember to use it and ask, hey, is this person lying to me? Um, With the professional, uh, there is a hunter move um, called Deal with the Agency. Comes with a couple of tags. Uh, Yours has offices all over the place, good intel and weird tech gadgets. But then some of the red tape, the not so great stuff that I think Casey clashes with a lot is that it's very bureaucratic and has hostile superiors. But yeah, whenever Casey needs something like information, weapons, or like help with like a mystery, she will call ears and I have to roll deal with agency. And depending on how I roll, um, if I do great, then I get exactly what I want. Uh, If I roll not so great, I get chewed out for it, which I feel like usually happens. I feel like that's the case also regardless. But then on a miss, uh, I really screwed up and I get suspended or put under investigation, which has happened. It has happened. 
The other thing that's worth noting, I don't know how much it comes out in things that we've actually recorded as a result of a missed deal with the agency role was that you were put into uh, mandatory counseling. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Casey's story has been interesting because it's been, um, this is something that's happened to most of you, but it's been most vocal with Casey is she gets into situations where the stakes are so high and the players are at a level so far above her but she really doesn't want to feel less than she needs like feeling like she's having her agency taken away from her. And I mean that not like the agency, I mean her as a person, her agency taken away from her is the worst thing in the world. She needs to feel useful and in control and I think the thing you said about she's the one to in a split second decision when the pressure is on to just jump in and do something is that's Casey up and down. Her friends and her enemies all have these crazy magic powers. But what she has is the ability to do things. And that's what she makes. That's what she makes the most use of. I feel like we're ready to talk about Thea. So, unlike D&D, you can play multiple characters in Monster of the Week. This is one of the level ups you get to take after you've leveled up five or more times that you can add a second hunter to control and play. The unique thing about Theo and having this new character is that... Theo who? So her full name is Theora Nessos, but she goes by Theo Jones. She has red hair, which is not her um, original hair color. She changes it often. Um, she has faded blue, blue eyes. She She's 5'8". She is the youngest of this group. And she also has a genuine smile like moonlight. But she's also the sweetest little cinnamon roll. <laughs> she always tries to find the silver lining in every situation. Her family is very wealthy. She wants to get out of the magical family business and become a nurse. So she is secretly going to medical school. She's kind of the black sheep of the family. Yeah, Theo just needs some love. <laughs> <laughs> she needs a better family. What sort of moves and special powers or resources do you have at your disposal? Magical ones. Ah. Um, <laughs> Theo Nessos is the spell slinger. Theo has to have certain tools and techniques to use her magic. Um, one of the things she needs is a foci, which she has a choker necklace with a little kitten skull, as well as she uses gestures and she also uses some consumables, which she stores in this little tool belt of pouches and things. And it has stuff from like sand to nails to herbs to whatever she needs. Kind of two unique things with Theo is that she can open up her third eye. So the, the third eye move is essentially a sort of buff to the read a bad situation roll. Regardless of how you roll, you get one extra question and the ability to quote-unquote see invisible things. Yeah, and if I miss on that, um, I get exposed to supernatural dangers. If you've read the Tresden Files books, it's a lot like the site. I'm really excited to find out more about who Theo is and like who she's going to become. I'm very excited to uh, sling spells, but I also will always love uh, using my sniper rifle to take down uh, Johnny's worst monsters. <laughs> Yeah, I think there's less to explain with Theo because she starts properly at the beginning of season two. But for what it's worth, my take on Theo is 
She comes in very put down. She's hiding the fact that she has any ambitions at all. The path of becoming a nurse was sort of like the first glimpse she got of something different. That being a Nessos, being Maggio, she got one path and one story about the world. This is how it is. It is not another way. There is no way out. So I think what I'm looking forward to for Theo is when she gets out and sees these other paths that are available to her and sort of lets her worldview expand. I'm interested to see what kind of future she decides to design for herself, who's involved in it, what what is she really capable of, and where does she want to put the 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 person that she is that is where she came from into this new world that she's imagining. So that's Casey and Theo. So now let's talk about John's character, Mark Clayton. Mark Mark is a socially awkward human. Um, he has since he's been since he was younger, uh, really in his his family, he was isolated uh, just by himself. So uh, you know, growing up, he was he was always you know looking at human interaction, very interested in human interaction, and that uh, has played into a lot of scenarios with Mark. And uh, quite honestly, created some really uh, hysterical moments um, throughout throughout our journey together. <laughs> as far as moves go, he has this ability uh, called telepathy uh, that allows him to uh, read other people's minds, also speak to them. And then an- another one uh, which <laughs> has been kind of interesting, incorporeal. So um, I'm able to move freely through solid objects, um, but I can't go through people. That mechanic um, I've kind of played with a little bit, and it's it's been kind of fun to to kind of pop in and out of walls and and do those those types of things. One thing that's interesting about Mark is he doesn't have normal eyes. Mark has um, fire eyes. Uh, Mark found uh, these these eyes and was very very compelled to not just like have these eyes do something to him. He he forcefully shoved them into his eyes and burned out his own eyes. Y'all, I didn't even make him roll for it. <laughs> Mark also um, has has a couple friends with him um, in in his head, actually. Uh, how, oh, man, how do I describe Dockers? I don't know, man. How do you describe Dockers? That, that, that should tell you right there. Um, yeah, Dockers... <laughs> Dockers is definitely a ghost pothead, but he is he is super nice and he always likes to boil in the green. (laughs) If you know what I'm talking about. So alongside uh, Dockers um, is another character that was introduced right around the same time that I got my fire eyes. uh, And his name is Ak and currently in my head. I think you kind of described him as like he was very tall, kind of like a glitch monster. Like he's sort of walking static. He's there with you and with Dockers. He is uh, fading away, going back to where he's from. Mark's relationship with his mother is is interesting in that um, for a long time they've been pretty pretty distant uh, because of a situation that happened uh, towards his his time in high school and growing up. So 
Mark's Mark's mom was involved in a lot of a lot of sex work, and um, and Mark didn't understand that that was the way that you know she was supporting him, and she Mark felt like he was being lied to, and so the, the over this whole period of time, so he ended up um, disconnecting from her for a while, and and trying to yeah he just felt like he was. He was he was not being respected, so he he left and and over time Mark felt bad because it was kind of a gut reaction at the time and wanted to reconnect with his mom, um, and so more recently Mark had been um, looking at reconnecting with her, um, but he's nervous. He doesn't know where she is or what what's been going on. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a, a big question mark. <laughs> And and with regards to the family, uh, I also discovered that I had a sister. And yeah, that's I think that's Mark in a nutshell. Mark's story has really been about a move from isolation and into community. And like he the one of the very first things John said about Mark was that he spent a lot of time growing up alone. And that is part of where he believed some of his powers and odd connections were coming from, but it also becomes a, a starting point for him. And the, the work, the work that he's doing with at his job and the work that he's doing with the other hunters is pushing him out into a more connected place. And I think that's very lovely. All right. We just have one more character left. Lauren, why don't you tell us a little about your character, Kira Ashwood? Just yeah, she's just a normal girl, you guys. Like she's <laughs> she's the normalest normal girl you've ever normally known. Like I can't express just how normal she is. She's um, never done anything bad in her never, entire life. Never. So like you know she's she's got she's like five foot five. She's got dark brown hair, brown eyes, and like you know like style wise, she like is usually wears like leather jackets and stuff, and usually open back tops for the black wings at her back. Um, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Can we go? Can we go back for just? <laughs> Sure, sure, sure. Oh, yeah. So, so Kira started as the monstrous, which is why she's got the black wings. She has a bit of a quote unquote dark past. <laughs> I mean, which RPG character doesn't? But uh, for Kira, when she was about 10 years old, a man named Donovan came and how she saw it at the time rescued her from her horrible, um, abusive family. He brought her to Divinity Shadow, and for the time from when she was 10 to about 18, Donovan was her mentor. And Kira really did see him sort of as like her savior for a long time. She saw him as a man who she kind of wished was her father, uh, even though he never really expressed any sort of feelings of affection for her, really. But he trained her, um, kind of instilled in her, be better, like you can be better, you can be stronger. Um, all those sorts of things. And I think that that kind of drive to kind of constantly improve herself and be better really kind of came from that. She saw it as a way for her to not be weak anymore. And she really took that mantra kind of with her. And when she was 17, almost 18, she became a full member of Divinity Shadow, which is how a lot of their members uh, get their powers, is by, again, they are a murder cult by um, sacrificing somebody in a blood ritual. Um, and so Kira killed a woman, and that was when she got her powers, and the voice of the creator was then in her head. Some of the powers that she, that she got with the power of flight, she has these black wings that she has. She 
also has um, life-draining abilities that she can uh, use to harm, but also heal people sometimes. It's, you know, it goes both ways. So she has the Dark Negotiator move, which she can use to manipulate monsters, because normally you can only manipulate other people. During the course of season one, she changed her type to the Chosen. It was uncovered that she has, you know, this destiny uh, that she had to open a door to the hallway, which is a thing that was a big deal back in season one. From that, she got her chosen weapon, which is, if you've seen Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it is literally the axe she gets in season seven of Buffy. Uh, she's got the, the axe head on the one end and then the other end is basically a stake. It's fucking badass. After that ritual happened, she sort of uh, wanted to get out uh, because it became clear that Donovan really didn't nothing really changed. I think she sort of saw it as like, this was something that like can make me better. I can be, you know, the person that Donovan wants me to be. And that wasn't the case. And she sort of realized I need to get out of here. And so she left the cult. When she first killed that woman in the cult, she started to hear these voices in her head and really voices in her head has been something that's been with her since even before then. Um, she's got several voices in her head, one of which was the creator, uh, who is the, the figure that they worshipped at Divinity Shadow. I mentioned she started as the monstrous. She, under her curses that she has, she had the Dark Master option, and that is uh, functionally where the creator kind of comes from. Uh, he was kind of giving her orders for a lot of season one that she didn't totally know where a lot of these orders were coming from, what the implications of them were, but she has very much does not want the creator in her head. And at the end of season one, he's currently gone. She also has a girl named Anna, who she recently was able to reconnect with. Anna was sort of her best friend and sister growing up that she heard in her head. Uh, she's got these voices in her head. She doesn't totally know where they come from. Um, and they, they all sort of have personalities of their own. And she also, with that, she kind of had some allies that uh, she uncovered, um, essentially a, a splinter group of that cult that she was a part of that calls themselves Dawnbreak. And they are her allies and um, are provide help with her through various things. There is also, as far as like connections that she has, she works at the Daily Tuba, which is a newspaper that uh, investigates uh, kind of supernatural ongoing things in the Minneapolis area, has how she knows Mark Clayton. That's where they met. Over the course of season one, she also met the strapping uh, heartthrob Tommy Sparks. Oh my god. <laughs> and uh, he's adorable and he's my boyfriend. Um, <laughs> so personality-wise, Kira is... Uh, I would say she's pretty observant. She is very curious, resourceful. She is also um, <laughs> the mom of the group. She is fiercely protective of her friends. Is very creative and I think pretty well-spoken. I think she's, I don't know, I feel like she's kind of a lot of the times kind of doing the, I don't know if negotiations is the right words, but she does a lot of the, she does mediating for sure. She loves her, she loves her friends and she cares about them dearly and will protect them with her life. <laughs> the thing that I think has been very compelling and interesting and rewarding about Kira's story is a lot of the things that are going on with her are defined by past suffering. Like she's fully over and over and over has been the victim of various degrees of trauma. 
And everything that she's been doing has been trying to take some kind of lesson or reward or try to, she's not, the thing that I think is interesting about her as, as compared to some of the other characters is that she's, she doesn't seem to be interested in a sort of quote unquote normal life. She's trying to make the best of, uh, she's trying to sort of balance the sheet of like these horrible things that have happened to me, these insane things that I can do. What's the best possible thing I can do with them? She's desperate to make everything that's happened to her be worth it somehow. So now you know a little bit about the characters. I do want to talk for just a minute about our homebrew rules. All of the homebrew rules that I kind of have going on are there to, uh, at best, enable and empower my laziness. <laughs> <laughs> and also to enable and empower on-the-fly narrative crafting. Uh, with the moves Investigate a Mystery and the move Read a Bad Situation, there are specific questions that you are supposed to be allowed to ask. I allow the players to ask any question at all. <laughs> I will say, though, that like with those questions, like I do still feel like you within like the degree of like this is something that you would know, like is still like a very valid thing. It's not I often just... refuse to answer questions. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, ref- I will sometimes refuse to allow questions. I will sometimes allow questions that are really helpful to just count for two questions. And sometimes you just give us a little extra information, too, if we roll really, really, really well. So that is another thing to talk about is that some of you at the beginning of this will have leveled up to a point where you can take what are called advanced moves, which is to take the basic moves and basically transform them to be amazing. So if you roll a 12 or higher on manipulate someone, the person will not only do what you tell them to, but they'll be your best friend and become an ally. On act under pressure, you do whatever you wanted to do to an insanely good degree. <laughs> On help out, you can transform whatever someone else's role was into a 12. On investigate a mystery, technically, investigate a mystery and read a bad situation, that upgrade is supposed to allow you to ask any question you want. But on a 12 plus, what I do is you can ask any question you want already, plus I will give you some free bit of information. On kick some ass, you really kick some ass. On protect someone, you really protect someone. And on use magic, it's... You really use magic. Use magic. I've also, uh, in this game and the other Monster of the Week game I play, I've been very, I've been pretty lax about what it means. We all, we've all gotten a pretty good idea of the people who have magic powers, what those magic powers are and what their limitations are. And so within reason, I allow you to use magic to do anything that magic could do. Let's talk for a little bit about the world. So first of all, Full disclosure to the listener, you we've mentioned this a time or two. We are starting in what we are considering to be season two. We run each of these mysteries like little mini arcs, and we run each session like an episode of a TV show. Each episode has a title because we are extremely professional. There will be a separate episode later on what happened in season one that you can refer to, and we'll talk about what happened, what you need to know there. But each of these characters has a little bit more backstory than I usually recommend. But what I can tell you is that there are some things that you will need to know going into episode one of season two that you should be able to pick up pretty well and just figure out the characters as we go. We're very good at talking. But there are a number of ongoing threats that will need to be 
explained. First, uh, Divinity's Shadow, the cult that Kira came from, is still out there. They are making their moves. Their deal is they worship someone they refer to as the creator. Their shadow is vast, as described by their name. And they have a lot of magical implements at their disposal. They have been and remain interested in Kira and following up and tracking her. The next group that's extremely important from season one that has implications that fall out, there were these four rich industrialists in the 1920s who performed some kind of spell and opened a doorway into what was known as the infinite hallway. The four were John Grawl, Craig Throat, Bertram Stroud, and Branson Branson. AKA the creator. <laughs> <laughs> the implications of the spell that they cast was one of which was Craig Throat was created, another of which was Branson Branson was pulled into the hallway and sent to the edge of the universe. Uh, the fate of John Grawl remains unknown. The infinite hallway itself is a sort of hub or waypoint between this realm and an infinite number of other worlds and universes. At the end of season one, the team managed to close all doors into this realm from the hallway. A splinter group from the, the wealthy real estate family, the Stroud family, decades ago, one of their bastard sons uh, founded the Order of the Black Rose, which is thus far extremely mysterious, but extremely wealthy and well-connected and has actually been keeping track of you, the hunters, for quite some time. And Nathaniel Rose is currently there, the scion of the group and their de facto leader. Other major NPCs or organizations that uh, we'll want to talk about, there's within uh, Dawnbreak, the sect of Divinity of Shadow that is loyal to Kira. There is a Gad, who's a sort of young, he's Indian, he has a doing his best mustache. He's quite reliable, but does not have very much uh, otherwise going for him. And then Riley, who appears as a sort of uh, 11 to 13-year-old girl, but is in reality much, much older than that. There is also, we found a group called Eyes, similar to Ears. It is the East Yorkshire Elder Studies group, that they are also investigating a lot of the same things that Ears is investigating, but from a different perspective. They are identifiable by the fact that they are literally from East Yorkshire. And from such, Yorkshire. They all have proper Yorkshire proper. accents. <laughs> Uh, another group that becomes quite prominent is the Third Sons, and it was John Grawl in the four. His sort of the effect that happened to him was that throughout history, uh, any person who is the third son of a third son will have access to the memories of all of their past lives. So this is this group that sort of formed up of these, these men who have this uh, ability and connection to history, and they have taken over a <laughs> mansion in St. Paul where they kind of have a, a, a sort of a kind of a militia, which does investigation and a number of things for and with you guys. And one of the members of that organization is actually Casey's cousin, Aaron Davis. That's true. Yeah. Aaron Davis, mm -hmm. who has a crush on Kira. <laughs> Oh, what a tangled web we weave. <laughs> ears. I mean, Ears is 
they're, they're kind of men in black. I think they're a bit more public than that. We've sort of figured out ears is sort of separated into investigations and kind of security. Another sort of group that you've come in, into contact with is a independent uh, hunting team of these two brothers, Nick and Tommy Sparks. He loves them. <laughs> <laughs> we love to see it, folks. Nick is more difficult to, to, I think, describe. He's sort of, he's a pretty hardline monster hunter where this is sort of his calling. This is what he's devoted his life to and things that sort of step outside of what uh, humanity is. His assumption is that they are to be put down. Otherwise, he's he's proven a pretty reliable ally for when something needs to be hit real hard. Uh, Tommy Sparks is his younger brother, who is nevertheless much taller, and is Kira's boyfriend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he is he is a werewolf, but he is also a monster hunter. Another group that I has a, has a special place in my heart is referred to simply as the Invisible Family. There are currently four members. They're an extremely obscure, small group that appears to investigate and make certain decisions about supernatural happenings. They're led currently by a young woman named Dad, who is in her late 20s. They all wear pretty trademark, uh, individualized black suits. There's another, another member is Mom, who is very tall and has and black hair and a mustache who is a man <laughs> <laughs> it took a long while for us to straighten it all out too yeah, this is why you're welcome we're starting in season two we've got tox pronouns down we figured out who mom is uh, and then there is also uncle who gives off pretty distinct priest energy and uh and kid who is a maybe 11 year old boy and they all have some degree of insane power. Another thing that you will begin to sort of notice about this podcast is that we do all have pets. I have two cats. John and Maya have two cats. Lauren has a boyfriend. So they will make guest appearances and to the delight of all. I can't get out of this without saying out loud just a huge, huge thank you to Michael Sands for the game Monster of the Week. It is explicitly designed to give us our favorite TV show every single week, and it does it wonderfully. The moves are designed extremely well to open themselves up to really interesting possibilities. Uh, it gives us the freedom to do something awesome over and over, but the structure to make sure that it stays good and contained and uh, correct. I just, I just friggin' love this game. Thanks for joining us for Session Zero of the Monsters Playbook, featuring John Wander as Mark Clayton, Lauren Johnson as Kira Ashwood, Maya Dutchen as Casey Davis and Theo Nessos. And Johnny Grubb as literally everyone else. Our theme song is by me, Johnny Grubb. The Monsters Playbook is produced, edited, and engineered by Maya Dechen. If you like this episode, please tell a friend. We love friends. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Monsters Playbook, and on Twitter at Monster Playbook, and on Web 1.0 at MonstersPlaybook.com. We'll see you next episode, where, as always, I'll have some good news and some bad news. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.